We're no stranger to this book. We've been in it forever. I think I got at least two months worth of preaching out of chapter 10. Um, but we are going to be in the Gospel of Mark once more. We're going to finish this thing. It's going to happen. I picked the shortest gospel to guarantee that we would at least come to the end before the year's over. So there's that. But we're finally going to move on from Mark chapter 10. We're into chapter 11. We covered the very first part of it uh, a little bit, but uh, go ahead and turn to your Bibles there. I'm going to give you a few minutes this morning. We don't have a ton of scripture as far as in Mark to cover. We're just going to cover a little portion, uh, and then uh, we'll have some other scriptures that will be thrown in uh, uh, to, to further what Jesus is trying to say. If I have to drink a lot of water this morning, please excuse me. I've been on a diet for the past uh, week and a half or so, and I pretty much eat air, and <laughs> air doesn't taste good, and, uh, and it just leaves my mouth dry, so I have to drink a lot of water um, from time to time. So we're finally moving past Mark 10. Are we there? Say amen. amen. All right, great, great, great. Um, so, and, and we've been following Jesus the entire time, and, and it's kind of like we talked uh, last week, and the same thing, I want you, every time we begin to jump into the gospel, I think what I, I want us to do more than anything, it's the thing that I do, when I read a book, I am in the book with the character, doesn't matter what book it is, I'm in there with them, I'm living through them vicariously, right? So as I read through the Gospel of Mark, I'm sitting there listening to Jesus as he talks. When Jesus walks someplace, I'm walking with him. When Jesus speaks, I'm hearing the voice of God speak, right? And, and we're there. We, can, we start to see the visual, the surrounding, what is going on, what is happening. Uh, it changes our perspective. So Mark chapter 11, we're going to be there. Jesus has returned to Jerusalem. He makes the grand entry on the back of a donkey as people shower him with praise, right? We covered all of this during Easter, so I'm, I'm going to actually press through this part into a small little, uh, I would call it like a side narrative that happens the day after, the day after, um, because you see, it was late by the time that he got to Jerusalem. He went in there. He uh, examined the temple, the Bible says. And after expect, inspecting it, you know, he retreated to Bethany. And here's where we are this morning. This is where we're going to pick up from uh, with Jesus and his friends. And they're waking up, uh, getting ready for today's journey at Bethany. So Mark chapter 11, verses 12, just through 14. 12 through 14. And that is our passage this morning. It reads, the next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs, but there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. Okay, here's we're going to stop right here. Let's pray real quick. Father, we, we read your word this morning. This is the word you picked out, you've drawn out for us, God. It was not happenstance that we're here in this scripture this morning, walking with you through Bethany, God. Lord, teach us, teach us, God, from your word. Reveal to us truth from your word, God. And, and, and not truth that we forget, Lord, but life-changing truth. Lord, one that would draw us closer to you. 
and away from everything else. Lord, closer to you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I know it's a small passage, but this small passage, uh, it really does pack a wallop, actually. <clears throat> there are things here that, that I, I just I'm gonna, I want to unpack, and they're simple. I thought about, well, I could include the whole next uh, set of context, but in this context, this is kind of in and of itself a little side thing going on, so I just kept it simple, uh, and there's a lot of simple things here, and, and we're going to cover that uh, because I think often the simple things are things we take for granted. We just take some things for granted. And we are always pushing over these simple things, these surface-level things, trying to get to something deep sometimes. Like we're waiting for something profound to jump off, and we don't realize how profound sometimes the simple things are. So, and, and this is kind of a big deal, right? And it's, when I say these three words, it's going to sound like, oh, yeah, okay, that's, what's the big deal? And, and I thought, like, the first thing that leaps off the page at me is this. Jesus is hungry. I know. Like, right, how are you going to preach on Jesus is hungry? But it doesn't sound much, but it's really evidence. It's evidence. Evidence that Jesus is not only God, but he's fully man. Jesus was born from a woman the same as you. Jesus gets hungry the same way you and I get hungry. The same way in about 15 minutes, you might tune me out to start planning what you're going to eat at Super Taco. Or China Kitchen. Or wherever else. Not Chick-fil-A. It's closed on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Right? Jesus gets hungry. He's born of the woman. He, he gets hungry too. He knows suffering. Jesus knows pain. He knows tragedy. He knows loss. He, guys, he knows loneliness. You know, and he knows love. The same as you. Not different. The same. Jesus could be seen and be touched and be talked to just like anyone else. And if you're still wanting a place to relate, um, Jesus, he understands what it's like to be talked up to, and he knows what it's like to be talked down to. Jesus understands you. He understands you. Listen to the Apostle Paul explain this thought, this idea. Hebrews 2, 14 through 16. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to fear of dying. Jesus became, God became flesh in Jesus. He's like us in every way. He came not only in our form, but in every likeness. He is fully human. Fully human. In Jesus, that means we see the humanity of God. The humanity of God. We see the fullness of God and how we are like him. Right? He's our identity, right? We're made in his image and we see it now. We see our focal point. In seeing this, we can draw comfort that when we pray to Jesus, he not only hears us, but he understands our plight. Right? He understands your situation, whatever that is, right? If you're lonely or whatever emotional strain you're going through, you're heartbroken, you're, 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 you're in pain, you're bruised, you're physically hurting, Jesus knows how you feel. It's not Him just listening from afar, from up on high. He knows how you feel. He understands you. 
Last Wednesday, we talked about Psalm 51, 17, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. And yet, couldn't it be because Jesus knows what it's like to be broken? Jesus knows what it's like to be bruised. He knows what it's like to be despised. Jesus knows the broken because he's been in their shoes. Jesus knows the poor because he's been in their shoes. He's seen their plot, and not from 30,000 feet, but from five, on the ground, with them all. He's touched them, he's wept for them, and he's deeply cared for all of them. Yeah, we would do well at times to remember who Jesus is. This little thing about Jesus being hungry is a great reminder. Yeah, he's Lord of Lords, he's King of Kings, there's no doubt. But he's also our friend. He's our listener, our savior, our healer. He's all these things. He is tangible. You hear me? He is tangible with a face as ordinary as everyone else. And for those of you who've ever wondered if you're special but you always felt ordinary, you do well to remember that Jesus couldn't have been picked out of a crowd. He was so ordinary. Isaiah would go on to prophesy in Isaiah 53 that there was nothing attractive about him at all. Nothing. I mean, if you just looked out, he'd just look like another Jew. That's what he would look like. He'd look like any one of us. And you know the awesome thing about today is that he is. He's any one of us. Right? This is where we find Jesus today. In the face of ordinary individuals people we never think we're going to see Jesus from, right? Or, or maybe we just didn't even noticed them before. I mean, it, it, this, is, this is how Jesus works within us, right? I, I know all this is simple, but it's really profound. It's a reminder that we see Jesus every day and we don't even know it. And we just see him in each other. What did he say his disciples would be known by, right? Even in just this. John 13, 35 says, by, everyone, by this everyone will know that you are my, my disciples if you love one another. Well, how did that work out for them? Well, Acts 4, 13 says the members of the council were, check this word out, amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. And then it says this, they also recognized them as men that had been with Jesus. Jesus. Ordinary, untrained, unskilled men. But it was easy to see that they had become who their teacher was. To be with Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to follow Jesus is to go from a ordinary to extraordinary. There's no way around it. Even the world, the Pharisees looked at it and said, man, obviously these guys have been with Jesus. Look at the way they talk. Look at the way they act. You can see it. The fruit is just coming out of them. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you're changed into him, period. The humanity of Jesus and the identity of Jesus becomes superimposed upon you, making you more like him so that others will say, and more importantly, recognize that you too have been with Jesus. Really simple. And I could, keep, I could make this whole sermon about that, but we got to keep going. we got to keep going. The next thing we need to look at really is, is, is the obvious here. The reason for this scripture to exist and the point Jesus is trying to make with this small fig tree. And 
in this case, you know, it's somewhat sinister in that not everything is as it should be. Not everything is in this passage is as it should be. You know, in East Texas, we have a saying. I grew up in East Texas. We have a saying. If it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, there's a pretty good chance it's a duck. Right? I mean, that's pretty simple. It looks like one. It, it talks like one. It's got to be. I mean, it's got to be, right? However, in this case of the fig tree, we see what I would call an imposter. It's an imposter. Jesus curses the fig tree for not producing fruit. And that would seem simple enough if it weren't for all the circumstances around it. I mean, come on. Have you ever asked some of these questions? Well, why did he curse it, right? What made him come to this conclusion? I mean, I mean, if we're being honest, couldn't we just say, you know, I know what it's like to be hangry, right? Where you, you know, you, I mean, like my wife will tell me, like, you need to eat. Just stop. You need to eat right now. Go eat something. You're just tearing into the kids. You're tearing in. You're not angry about anything. You're just hungry. Right? Jesus is like us in every way. I mean, you know, uh, and, and these are, I think, are valid questions. I think it's okay. I think it's human to ask these kind of questions. Uh, but if you start to do a search, because questions lead you on journeys. Right? And this journey, as you start to ask questions, it starts to lead you through these things where you're going to, if you'll come to study that whole Palestine area, uh, you'll come to find out that the fruit or figs usually appear before the leaves. The conclusion being that if you see a fig tree with leaves, you should already, it should already be full of figs. I mean, it's, it, it should be done. This is the process. This is the growth. And as in everything, this is a lesson. You know one thing it's not about? It's not about a tree. It's not about a tree. How do we know that? I'm going to show you. Uh, Matthew 7, 17 through 20. Jesus often used parallels to discuss human behavior and human action. In Matthew's gospel account, he uses trees to reveal how people or we are judged, so to speak. In, in Matthew 7, 17 through 20, it reads, A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Common sense there. Makes sense. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Right? And okay, it's great. We're just talking about trees. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. He ain't talking about trees. He's not like, hey, it's time to give you some farming lessons. This is what's important. You need to learn how to grow an orchard. No, he's talking about people. Jesus uses this analogy to describe people and pointedly people who do not bear fruit. If you can identify people by their fruit, what does that mean for a tree that looks like it should have fruit but doesn't have any? Are we guilty of having leaves but no fruit? Mm. Do we look like we're in season when in reality we're barren? Man, that's good stuff, guys. Unfortunately, there are trees like this everywhere in our churches today. It's the truth. They're everywhere, right? Trees that look like they're healthy, like Jesus saw from afar. But upon closer inspection, there is no fruit. They look like everything is right with them. Man, they seem to have the perfect life. Come on, you know that Facebook life. 
that life where it looks like, man, I wish I took as many vacations as they do. I start to wonder why, why don't you ever stay home? Are you miserable? Like, I love my house. I, I, I mean, it's not that I don't want to go on a vacation once in a while, but I got friends at home. Like, I ain't trying to escape all the time. I mean, like, I'm just saying how I think, but like, you know, Facebook only presents one side of life, and you can paint whatever you want people to see. If you want people just to see the leaves and no fruit, you can totally do that on social media. And be honest, man, you and I both know there's a lot of that out there. They have nothing to show for all that green. I mean, they might look so healthy, but they're not. And here's the thing, what happens there, they're actually purposeless. If, you're, if your purpose is to produce fruit and you don't produce fruit, what do you, what do you do? What do you do? In some scriptures, in Luke 9, for instance, Jesus uh, said that, well, he might give it another year. If you go read in Luke 9, it talks about the parable of the tree where he says, hey, this tree is uh, not producing fruit. Jesus says, give it another year. If it doesn't grow in another year, let's cut it out. So I'm going to tell you right now, this is called Grace. If you are a tree that has a lot of leaves but no fruit, by the way, a tree that has a lot of leaves, you look healthy, you act healthy, you might come to church, you might say you love Jesus, but you never do anything. Your faith does not produce a work or a fruit. You are not healthy. You have the appearance of healthy, but nothing else. All right? You are purposeless. You are, if you are in Christ, you're supposed to produce fruit. It's really simple. Jesus has allowing you, if you are still around, if you're still being able to throw out all that green and you hadn't been called out for your lack of fruit, by it's called grace. Right? It's called grace. God is giving you grace. He's giving you opportunity. He's giving you time. He's waiting on you, giving you another season, giving you another chance. It's grace. Because eventually it gets to a point where Jesus said, okay, cut it down. It's taking up too much strain off everything else. Only those who are connected, and here's why, only those who are connected to the true vine are ever going to be able to produce fruit. So with the reason they can be full of leaves but no fruit is because they are no longer connected to the vine. And this opens up a whole transition to a different way of thinking of how we're connected to Christ and how fruit is produced. John 15 Verses 1 through 8 reads like this. Jesus saying, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. I'm going to stop right there, and I'm going to give you something that's not in my notes, because those of you who are producing fruit, what I am going to tell you is this. If you think hardship is gone, you are fooling yourself. It says that, yes, oh, he cuts off the ones who aren't producing any fruit, but it also says he's going to prune the ones that are. And I don't know about you, but the only way people stretch and grow is by grabbing them and pulling them out. And how many of you love being stretched thin? Like, I just love it when my kids stretch me thin. Right? But you know what they say by the time you're 65, 70, 80 up in, the, in those ranges? Can I tell you what they say? Your stress level compared to a 20-year-old is like night and day. You don't stress out hardly about anything. You live a whole lot more peaceful life. You know why? Because in your 20s, your kids stretched you. Amen. Amen. Right? Your bills stretched you. Those times you got yourself in a little too deep on some finances stretched you, right? And so when things come up in the future, like, we survived that. I'm still here. 
They don't bother you as much anymore. Even I've noticed, I'm only 45, I've noticed that. I don't stress out it half as much. I think the, I tell people all the time, the best thing I ever did was have a child in my 30s. Praise God. I laugh more than I ever did in my 20s. I'm surprised I didn't go bald in my 20s. He says, you have already been pruned and, uh, pruned and uh, purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you, have, you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. And when you produce fruit, much fruit, you are my true disciples. That brings great glory to my Father. What he's saying is everything flows from Jesus into us. We do, even our fruit, all of our good works, all the greatness of us, is none of our glory. It is all comes from the vine. It is Jesus through us. We are fruitful because we are connected to him. And the opposite applies that when we are unfruitful, it is because we are not connected to him. And the rest is common sense. It's common sense. When something doesn't fulfill the purpose to which it was intended, it is separated and disposed of. Those green leaves are only going to get you by for so long. We must abide in Jesus and allow Jesus to abide in us. This is the whole thing. It is the only way. It is through our faith in Jesus that we even can produce fruit. This is what connects us to the vine is our faith. There is no other way. No other way. You don't get to be braggadocious about all your fruit because it didn't come from you. It came from Jesus. It's his glory, his way, his honor. So which are you? Are you all the leaves? Are you all leaves or is there fruit? Now listen, that's for you to discern. That's for you to discern. But I will let you on a widely known truth. You can see fruit in a tree. I'm just saying. Think about it, guys. Apples are red. They stick out. Oranges, come on. I mean, people can tell if you have fruit or not. They can also tell if it's bad fruit. You ever smelled bad fruit? Mm-hmm. You might think um, that it's really just your business, and it is. It is. Whether you bear fruit or not is your business, and how God is going to deal with you through that is your business, right? I'm here to love you. You should be here to love each other, Right? But I'm telling you, it's obvious to others when fruit-bearing trees aren't bearing fruit. Period. That's, that's something you got you to gotta wrestle with. You got to wrestle with that. And let me be clear, I'm not here to judge you if you have fruit or not. I'm just saying that it's more obvious than you realize. People see it. They might not say it to you, but they see it because it's obvious. As a matter of fact, it's kind of a big deal. Because if you hadn't listened to all the scriptures concerning what happens to trees that don't produce fruit, then you know right now that any words that I'm really telling you about this whole thing is a cry out. Produce fruit or be cut off. Man, I, I don't know how you escape from that in the scriptures. 
I can't see it. Grace sustains you. If you are being allowed to not bear fruit, it is by the grace of God who is holding out for you. It is by the grace of God. Listen, if that's you and you're worried about any of that, this is the last thing we need to discuss. Again, it's an, <clears throat> it's an obvious truth behind this whole fig tree. <clears throat> Get my voice back here. <clears throat> oh, yeah. It tastes a whole lot better in air, my friend. This leads us to the fruit, right? We have to deal with this too. Faith produces fruit. We talked a lot about faith last week, but faith produces fruit. People with no fruit have very little faith, if any, because faith produces it. It just it creates it. It, 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 it it's like the seed that just, just breaks it open. It, it causes everything to unfold. The apostle, the apostle James really unpacks this idea, and I, I'm just going to be honest. I'm not a good preacher as the apostle James. He, he just does a better job at it, so I'm going to read to you his words real quick. We'll talk about it a little bit, but really listen and, and and as we navigate through James's his idea of this, in chapter 2 of James, starting at verse 17, he goes, See, uh, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. I didn't say that. James said that. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Well, good for you. I love that. <laughs> good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Now, that man was a Pentecostal preacher that talks like that. Good for you. Even the devil believes that. I mean, right? Is that a Pentecostal preacher or what? How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? I mean, don't you remember our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and counted him as righteous because of his faith. And and God counted him righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so faith is dead without good works. Faith produces good works. Faith produces fruit. Period. There's no argument there. We all know that. Faith is through self. You, 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 faith is what gets you salvation. By grace alone are you saved, right? But your faith, by the sheer power of it, will produce good works. There's no, you can't have one without the other. Faith or, or good works is really a byproduct of faith. It creates it. It can't help it. It's spontaneous. It's going to happen. And there's, I mean, like, you see what I'm saying? There's no way I could have preached that any better. I mean, it's really self-explanatory when you read it like that. He makes it obvious. Our faith in Christ is what compels us to do good works, or in this case, make good fruit. It does this because it is rooted in Christ. Rooted in Christ is good fruit. While we may be, uh, uh, faith alone uh, will save you, faith isn't stagnant. It doesn't sit still. It's not going to just be still for you. I've got faith, right? It's going to push you. 
It's going to make you uncomfortable. It's going to press you. It's what it does, right? It's going to want you to become more like Christ. And as you become more like Christ, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be like Jesus. And what was Jesus? Compassionate. You know what his compassion would lead him to do all the times? Listen to blind guys who are hollering in the middle of a crowd and going, you know, okay, I'll help this guy. I'll stop everything I'm doing. You know, one of the things they use in that passage for pastors to try to teach pastors in leadership, they tell you this as a leadership lesson. Here's a little nugget. It's not even in the notes. A leadership lesson that they teach from that passage we talked about last week with blind Bartimaeus, right? Calls out. He's in the middle of the crowd. They teach you in ministry. Sometimes you are going to be interrupted. Can I tell you, some of the greatest ministry moments are when you're interrupted. How are you behaving? Jesus is on his way somewhere. He's got somewhere he's supposed to be. I don't know if you've noticed, but he's riding on a donkey. He's got, the East, man, he's got Easter to deal with, guys. He ain't got time for one more guy. You know how many people are blind always wanting Jesus? Everybody wants Jesus' attention. But on this day, this guy interrupts the whole process because he won't stop screaming so loud. Right? And a leadership lesson they like to teach the pastors. The pastor, there are some days you are going to be interrupted from everything that's on your schedule. And you know what you do on that day? You be Jesus. You shut your mouth. You listen to them. And you be in that moment. Because this could be a God moment for you. It was for Jesus. Right? Faith produces works. God will interrupt you. you I'm telling you. It's not stagnant. It will push you and press you to be compelled about the plight of others. It will bring you into a whole other level of compassion. And listen, it's not all the time it happens. And it shouldn't be exhausting, okay? You know, one of the things I've, I've often said about uh, pastors when I hear like, oh, man, it's just I'm wore out, I'm, you know, this. And last I read, it said his burden is light. If, 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 if ever this walk gets to a place where it's burden, it's not light, then something's not right. Something's not right. Christianity is simple. It's hard because we're hard. I mean, it really is. And we take upon the likeness of Christ. If we start to abide in Christ, if we make it our sole purpose to live in Him, we won't have to worry about bearing fruit. It's Him. Jesus bears fruit. I just have to abide in him. I just pursue him. I just focus on him. Doesn't have to be exhausting. You know what else we could we would do good to remember, especially if we're going to talk about trees? There are seasons when trees do not bear fruit. There are seasons, and you know what's smart to know? When is it season? Like, you know, I haven't really done any much for the Lord. And you know what happens, man? And it's the biggest killer in the church today and amongst Christianity is self-pity, self-doubt, self, low self-esteem are probably some of the greatest arrows the devil has ever shot. When truth and reality is, it's winter time for you. And instead of growing fruit on top, you're growing roots down deep. Don't be upset at your life. Right? If it's a fruitless time in your life, dig deeper. Dig roots. God has given you an opportunity to sustain yourself from future storms. Take advantage of it. Because there will be seasons when it is all about fruit. And when that happens, I don't know if you notice, but the fruit gets so heavy till eventually the tree can't hold it any longer. And then the season recycles itself. You just keep abiding in Christ, and when the season is right, your faith will begin to produce fruit too. That's all you got to do. 
There's no faith without works. It will happen in due season. You only need to worry if you've never produced fruit or it's been so long you can't remember. Then maybe it's time to draw close to the source and get active. And get active. Man, there's always things you can do. If you're looking for opportunities, I'm telling you, they're, they're out there. A plenty. A plenty. They don't have to be big, guys. The, you know, the church is guilty of doing a lot of things for you. I mean, we'll hold your hand and take care of our, the, the, the desire is, the heart is right. The heart, it's like, it's like when you see somebody, like, raising their kid, and, like, you would go, I would spank that, I would, boy, right? And you see the parent, and they're like, oh, well, come on, you know, and you're just like, oh, man, you need to pop that kid, right? And, and like, you know that in their heart, though, they want to do right. It's not like they're just, like, push over, like, they're trying to love their child. They're trying not to get to that place. They're you know, even though you know, like, hey, probably this is what could be better. Like, I know you won't, they won't like it. They won't like it. You won't like it. But it probably could be what's best, right? The church is guilty of that sometimes. It wants to go do outreach. And it's done this for so long now that it's hindered the evangelism of the church. I mean, a lot, a, a lot of it. it, it I mean, we've talked about this analogy before. If, if, if I go in and I clean up my kids' rooms all the time, Right? I mean, at what point do I, I should honestly, through responsibility, quit yelling at them to clean their room? I've already taught them that if they don't, I'll do it. I've enabled that bad behavior. At some point, we have to kind of own some of that with pastoring and, and the responsibility. We, we want to grow the church, and we want to use our gifts as pastors uh, uh, to a point that we've gotten to the place now where we'll just do it for you. And then you can just come be a part of what we're putting together, and that way you can feel good about it. But in reality, especially when you go back and look at the beginning church, in the reality, nobody even came into church until they were saved because they were all scared they were going to die. Persecuted church that they found out you were a Christian, guess what? Your head goes on a stake outside the whole place. I mean, they're looking to kill you. So nobody got brought into the church because they're afraid you're a rat. You're going you're gonna to tell on everybody and, like, get some money. So I'm not bringing you in. I'm going to make sure you love Jesus, say you love Jesus. You're going to get baptized where everybody can see you get baptized before I ever bring you in. That way, when they come and get us, they're getting you too, bro. You're the one who announced it in front of everybody and baptized yourself in front of everybody and found yourself inside. Right? This is the book of Acts. This is what they're facing. I mean, go back and read it. Look at Paul's life. He ran from Iconium because they were throwing rocks at him. You know what's sad? He ran right into Lystrum and they still rock. They stoned him there. Right? I mean, like his, his whole life is running from one place to another, hiding out. And then everywhere he gets known, he has to get run out. That's the, that's the book of Acts, church, when we always talk about going back to the book of Acts, church. That's the book of Acts, church. Right? But in the book of Acts, church, people evangelized outside the church. The, the idea of the church was not a conglomerate body that sat inside the house. That's just where believers met to strengthen themselves up so they could go back out and spread the word. And it wasn't a pastor's responsibility then, it was everybody's. We were all missionaries. And you are today. You are all missionaries. Your faith should produce a work that creates other believers. The seed, the fruit that you're making is people. That's when you plant the seed in someone else, man. And now the vine, they, they become grafted into the vine just like you got grafted into the vine. Just like you did. Man, there's all kinds of cool ideas you could do. You ever thought, just thought of asking if somebody needed help? Maybe just a total stranger? 
And I don't mean like bring them to church. I mean like uh, just hanging out with them. I'm not a big like, hey, let's just bring you to church. And that's how most of the people that I'm witnessing to, I'm just trying to be in their life. Come to church is never the thing that I ever ask them. They usually ask me, hey, I know you got your church. Hey, what, what time you on? That, that happens over time. Because I don't care if they come to church. I care if they love Jesus. If they love Jesus, they'll seek out other believers. That's the natural state. Come on, apples love hanging with apples, man. They fall from the same tree. Yeah, uh, maybe every once in a while, uh, you know, when I lived on Northwood over here, I had Miss B over to my left side, and I knew my neighbors on my right, and, and, and sometimes I would just mow their lawn. Never asked me. I wouldn't even have to go up there and say, hey, I'm going to mow your lawn. I just want you to know. I wouldn't do that. I would just mow it. I'm already out here. It's just as easy. There's no fence in the front yard. I'll just mow all that. Can't get your backyard. You got a fence, bro. You got dogs back there. But, you know, your whole front yard, you won't have to do. I just decided to do it today. Just felt like it. Man, when we moved out of, out of, out of Northwood, my, all my neighbors who don't go to our church here, all, like, were so sad that we were leaving. I mean, we're just like, couldn't not tell me how much they hated me moving. <laughs> they were so disappointed in us. <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad because they got to see Jesus in that, right? It's the little things, right? You're taking, you take for granted. You think you got to do some big out deal and some poster board with Jesus all over it and, like, and confront them. Like, listen, I will say it did work for me. When my brother-in-law asked me if I was going to heaven or hell and he used that whole line on me, yeah, it worked on me. But that doesn't work on everybody. And there are times where I've used that line. And usually with military guys that are like me, because they respond to like total rash stuff. But some people just need to be friends with. You just need to love on. You ever uh, covered somebody's shift at work? That's an opportunity. And I'd be happy to help you out. What do you got going? Okay. Yeah, I'll help you out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's little things. Little things win people, not big things. In all my years of seeing giant, giant outreaches, very little have I seen fruit from it, but a ton of little things I've seen. It's, it's amazing how many people I meet through the little things of life, through the little things of life. And it just starts out by just being nice and loving people right where they're at. You know, I took a, a page right out of Brendan Manning's book, you know, uh, just, in, just in really like... And really like, you know, trusting that, that, that God loves me just as I am, not as I should be, for none of us are as we should be. If that's the case, then God loves them, right? Remember we talked about this a while back, how if God reigns on the just and unjust alike, it's because God loves them all. And if God loves them all, then I'm supposed to as well. And believe me, there's a lot of things I get irritated about just like anybody else. And I, I can struggle in anger just like anybody else. But at the end of the day, I'm abiding in Christ. And as I abide in Christ, Christ begins to bring me holy guilt about my anger. You know, just the other day I told Joyce, I'm working on this. I'm working on my anger. There's times where I get angry. How many of you get angry on the road? Yeah. Yeah, man. And, and I start to think of, am I really in that big of a hurry that it would change my countenance? You know, and I, I've really in my life tried so hard to slow myself down, to be in the moments, man, 
to be in those moments, to calm down and understand that everybody could be having, people could be having bad days. And I know what it's like to have a bad day, so I'm going to give a bad day. If you're going to have your bad day, I'm going to give you grace today. I'm going to love on you today. Uh, I might keep my distance, <laughs> but I'm going to love you enough to like forgive you the next day and just say, hey, that was just a bad day because I know what it's like to need one. And, and there's all kinds of others, right? Be creative. You'll know when the right time is if you're abiding in Jesus because he, he'll press you into the Holy Spirit. And you'll tangibly feel the unction of when God's pushing you. You'll know it. You know it. I mean, just like, I don't know if some of you, but you probably felt sometimes that, you know, where like God's giving you something to say to somebody. And you're like, I don't want to say that. I feel awkward. Like, I should, like uh, I, I, there was times where in the store where I've been in a grocery store and, and we've had those moments where we've had other people have to come to us and go, I don't know who you are, but I've got, you know, I feel like God's giving me a word from you. Like, okay. Yeah, here at Walmart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. And then you, you hear him out because, man, I know how awkward that is. God will put you in an awkward situation. Don't think he won't. I think he has a good sense of humor. But you'll know that moment when you feel the unction of the Holy Spirit. And it's the moment when the tidy bud on the end of your branch starts to unfold. Right? And it starts to give place to a seed that we call fruit. And that's a good place to be. Well, a lot to, he curses the fig tree. We're going to find out later that the fig tree dies. The irony is that they marvel more at how he did it. And they miss a lot of the lessons that are found in Jesus comparing trees to people. He does it a lot. I mean, it's riddled throughout the Gospels. There's multiple occasions where he compares trees to people. I, I like to think of the same thing with the church. You know, I, I read it a long time ago. I've said it before in here. I'm going to bring the worship team back up. Um, but I think of it a lot in churches when people are churches. Well, man, we just want to keep this going gener after, generation after generation. And awesome. That is great. You know, the redwoods in California, there's trees that have been there for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. But one day they too will die. And you know what happens when they do? A break in the treetops happens. And sun is able to get where it never was able to get before. And you know what then happens? All the seeds that that tree had been dropping finally get a chance to live. And new life is born. I was listening to something the other day. This is a neat thing also about trees, right? I was telling Joe, I was like, man, isn't this great? And it was talking about uh, the forest up there near uh, Yellowstone in that area that talks about, you know how it survives? Only by the fires. It depends on fires to come from lightning to survive so that when the seed is made or the pine cone is made this tree actually uh, excretes a resin around the pine cone so it cannot grow unless the fire comes and burns the resin off into the ground and the good thing about the fire is when it burns everything right it what fertilizes the ground and now this seed which was covered in resin there are literally trees only born out of fire Man, that is Pentecostal right there. There are some seeds only born in the fire. They live in fire. They know fire. They plant in fire. Come on now. Better watch it. I'll start jumping around. <laughs> I can feel it. I can feel it. This is us. I don't know what kind of tree you are. I don't know about your leaves. And here's the thing is, I don't really care. Here's what I do care about. I care that you understand. I care that you understand that Jesus is giving you grace. If you're not producing fruit, Jesus is giving you grace. If you are, praise Jesus. Stay in the vine. 
I'm not here to judge you whether you produce fruit or not. I'm here to tell you that there's consequences for not. I present you the truth, what you do with the truth, right? If you abide in Jesus, you receive this truth. You allow this truth to press upon your faith. You allow this truth to press you into producing fruit. And if you don't receive, if you walk away without really hearing this this morning, then you're walking away putting yourself in danger. Now, when will that come? Maybe just whenever you die. I don't know. And like I said, I'm not here to judge you. I'm going to love you the same. The Bible says that the, the rain falls on the just, the wicked, and the righteous. God loves us the same. But this is also when the truth is expelled from the mouth. This is the power of preaching. When preaching is expelled from the mouth, it's the truth revealed so that you can respond. How you respond, now that's up to you. That's up to you. What we can do is we're, we're about to dive into some worship. Neat thing about worship, as a way of, music has a way of moving our heart. And if you will think upon the truth that we've listened to this morning, if you'll think upon and concentrate upon the truth as we sing these words, then, then, then just maybe, maybe God can do something more than just, than just open your ears for hearing and, and open your mouth for singing. It's great. We're going to sing worship, and it's awesome. And, and I've been able to preach, and that's awesome. But there's nothing like abiding in the vine. I just, I, there's, there's no way I'm ever going to replicate that in life. My job is to abide in the vine just as it is your job. I don't have a greater job than you. It's the same. My job every day is to get up in the morning and abide in the vine, to go to sleep and abide in the vine. Every day. As I abide in the vine, as I abide in him, right, and him in me, I don't have to worry about when I'm in season and when I'm out of season. Jesus will take care of that. My job is to abide. In returning, I abide to him. Let's worship this morning.